If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Warning, the following podcast contains graphic content and material intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, guys? Whoa, whoa. Are you uh, okay? <clears throat> my balls just dropped. Holy Sorry. shit. <laughs> I don't know what happened there. That was interesting. No kidding. Wow. Um, welcome to Wicked and Grim. Where it's ran by a, how old am I? 33? And a 13-year-old. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is uh, a true crime podcast. What's up? Welcome to the show. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're Wicked on- and Grim. Did we yeah. say that? Did we say Wicked and Grim? I don't know. Wicked and Grim. Welcome. This was one hell of an intro, so we're all over the place. Sorry. This is Wicked and Grim, a true crime podcast. My name's Ben. I'm Nicole. And yeah, you're listening to the show, Wicked and Grim. I think we said that like three times. Yeah. So now you really know what the hell you're listening yeah, 100%. to. Yeah, 100%. But you're listening to part two today of The Black Dahlia. Ooh, yes. You but made us wait a whole week. I did. And uh, this was not an easy case to research because, oh my God, the rabbit holes are ridiculous there's a lot to it hey oh hell yeah there are theories left right and center there's subtle little details and nuances that you can go off for hours on it's it's crazy there's Hmm. movies there's books there's documentaries there's uh, forums there's websites you name it it's 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 a roller coaster. Sounds fun, but not fun. <laughs> yeah, it was hell to research, but man, it was it was fun to go into. Mm-hmm. So before we get into it, though, what do we got to talk about today? Well, for one, we're drinking very tasty uh, hot chocolates because, well, today we're recording this on a Monday. It's National Hot Chocolate Day. Yeah, so happy National Hot Chocolate Day. Boom. We, we got to get so, cheers. I mean, it. if you're listening to this tomorrow, you're a day late, but... That's okay. You can still have a hot chocolate. You know what? It might not be National Hot Chocolate Day, but every day is Hot Chocolate Day. I freaking love hot chocolate. I could drink it every day. It's it's fucking good. So good. So good. It's like your chocolate milk almost. I, for me. Okay, for you. It, it's yeah. good, but nothing can beat chocolate milk. I'm oh, sorry. I'm obsessed. So good. I mean, they're, they, they're pretty similar. I'll give them that. It's like but, a warm hug in a cup. Yeah, well, chocolate milk is like... <laughs> No, that doesn't sound right. I was going to say an orgasm in a cup, but oh. that does not sound right. Ew. Yeah, that's... Wow. 
So you might have just ruined chocolate milk for like everyone listening. Impossible. It's well so done. silky deliciousness. Oh God. Like okay, an let's orgasm move on. in a cup. That's so nasty. What else do we have to talk about before um, we all barf? We, we got to thank patrons again mm-hmm. because you guys are continuing to support us and you're absolutely amazing. If you want to support us, head over to Patreon. You can sign up and we got to thank our people who signed up this yeah, week. Yeah, we do. Uh, so we got to thank, of course, we got to thank, hold on. I My my list is out here. Uh-oh, you need help? I need help. Hold on. Oh, do you there need we go. Oh, you I, got it? I think I got it. Where did we leave off? We left off at Caitlin last time, right? Caitlin Black. Yeah. Uh, so after Caitlin, Lori Brennan signed up. And then we got, and I'm sorry if I pronounce your last name wrong. Nicole's like, you can do it because I'm not going to try to pronounce your name. <laughs> so she's leaving it to me. So I'm sorry if I butcher I'm it. I'm terrible. But Lori Aguan, Egan or Aguan. I don't know. But Laura. Laura, you're awesome. Yes. 100%. You're wicked awesome. Wicked. And Desiree Salarin. I hope I said your last name too. Either way, if I said your name's wrong or right, I am so sorry, but you guys are wicked awesome. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for supporting us. Thank you. We can't thank you enough, really. We can't, but we can say your name wrong. We can do that. <laughs> In like wicked and grim style. <laughs> yep. While drinking hot chocolate. There you go. So yeah, thank you very much for signing up for Patreon and being awesome. And then the other thing we have to talk about is how probably an accumula- accumulation of 20 minutes today, I have talked about in different times how sore your arms are. My arms are so sore. Like so sore. Okay. So story. <laughs> like pre-COVID. Oh, I shouldn't have brought it up. Pre-COVID, I was starting to go to the gym like lots. Was mm-hmm. I ripped? No. but we were, I start- doing, we were both doing really good actually. Yeah. We were starting to get in pretty good shape. Yeah. Um, I was almost at 200 pounds. I was at I think 209 at my lowest. And currently... I am at my all-time heaviest at 238 pounds, so that's not fun. So I got to go back to the gym, and I went back to the gym for the first time the other day. I thought I did a light workout. You did not, clearly. Turns out my arms are dead. I can't even straighten them. (laughs) My biceps are so seized up. They're, You're just flexed at permaflex. I'm permaflexed right now. Like In a relaxed state, my biceps are solid and flexed. They are so seized up. It's it hurts i love it's just like such a guy thing too that you're just like totally okay with saying how much you weigh because i don't think i would ever just be like casual this is how much i used to weigh this is how much i weigh now like that's like 30 pounds more holy shit i personally don't (laughs) think people should be ashamed i know they they shouldn't but it's just it is like i feel like guys and girls are quite different with how open they are i definitely understand like discuss that right well maybe maybe me being able to discuss my highest weight ever is going to give someone else the ability to maybe not feel so self-conscious about them yeah. at their highest weight. I'm definitely at my highest weight right now too, which is kind of sad. Not going to divulge it though? No. <laughs> no, don't so. force me. I wasn't forcing you. I was just asking what your intentions were. Um, But I also kind of don't really want to be like fixated on that number like I had before and more so just developing a healthy lifestyle yes. where I can – I can like maintain it down the road and it's not just like, oh, for one month I'm going to like eat really healthy and the next month I'm going to eat Chico, Chico chicken all fucking month. Oh, I fucking love Chico chicken. We love Chico chicken. Oh. But um, is that, I wonder if that's in the States too. Oh, I'm pretty sure it is. It probably is. But um, yeah, so that's kind of my goal and just like feel like I can go maybe up a flight of stairs without being winded. That would be my ideal being healthy. Yeah. See, my goal is I want to drop down 
to 200 pounds, not because I think I'll be healthiest there, mm-hmm. but because I want to see the change in my body to dropping to 200 pounds. And then from there, I want to understand, okay, how can I make myself my healthiest? Do I need to gain a bit more weight? Can I be a little more relaxed on myself? So I want to be able to have a spot where I can start and then adjust accordingly. Because you're like six feet, right? Six foot tall, yes. So I feel like for a six foot dude, being like 200 pounds or over or whatever, I don't feel like is crazy. Oh, no, definitely not. So. Even even like 230, 240 is fairly normal for yeah. a dude my size. But I just want to start. I want to get to that. But you don't feel part. healthy. I don't feel healthy, yeah. not whatsoever. Yeah. Um. So I got to get healthy, and I think a reset to 200 pounds is a good way of doing it because then it can adjust accordingly. So you have like gain a f- weight or not? 40 pound goal. Yeah. Wow. Let's do it. That's awesome. Let's yeah. do it. I don't think I'm going to stay at 200 because I think that's too little for the record. I think it's way too little, but I want to get there just so I ease my mind and be like, okay, now I can. Go to where you I almost want. have to do more cardio than like weights, eh? Oh yeah, but I gotta yeah. get my muscles back to <laughs> being used to doing things. I want to squeeze them so bad. Maybe when I am not hurting. Well, like right now, I want to squeeze <laughs> no. them while you're <laughs> no hurting and just listen to you squeal. Ah, oh. <laughs> welcome to the torture podcast where my co-host and wife tortures me. Oh my gosh, no, uh, I don't. Let's get back to the Kay. show though. Yeah, let's do it. Let's I'm get actually, on to Okay, because you left us off. Okay, if I'm remembering correctly here. Yes. Because I have not re-listened to the episode, which I wanted to do, but I didn't. Um, where we were going to start going over theories and such, right? Correct. <gasps> which I'm kind of excited. Uh, so we did go over one theory in the last episode, which I'm just op- opening last episode's notes to remember said dude's name. Uh, Robert Red Manley. That's who it was. So we went over that theory. Uh, he was the one who drove Elizabeth uh, back to LA and was one of the last people to see her alive at the hotel he dropped her off at. But was like a friend missing. though, yes. basically. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'm going to do a bit of a recap on the whole case of Elizabeth here. So Please you can do. get your mind all freshened up. Uh, so Black Dahlia part two, buckle up. So in 1947, Elizabeth was taken by someone possibly near the Baltimore Hotel in Los Angeles, kept for several days under horrific, savage conditions, beaten, tortured, killed, and then her body desecrated and dumped in an empty lot. She was found nude, drained of her blood, cut in half at the waist with three inch cuts from her, the corner of her mouth up towards her ear, forcing a horrific smile on her cold face. There were letters sent to the police and media from the alleged killer taunting them and even sending them personal effects from Elizabeth. But even with over 100 suspects, police still couldn't find her killer and the case is unsolved to this day, leaving everyone trying to understand what happened to Elizabeth Short. That's just brutal. Yeah. It's just brutal. Oh, it is. Now, there are some reports and stories out there that spin the whole tale of a young woman who was desperate for money while walking among the flashing Hollywood lights, desperate to make an income while she tried to keep her dream of becoming a film star alive by turning into a sex worker, uh, a job she hated but simply had to do. The reports continued to paint Elizabeth as a man-hating wannabe actress who would get caught up in party scenes of being involved in unsavory people, and we... Let's just say we are about to dive into some of the most popular and convincing theories surrounding Elizabeth Short, a.k.a. the Black Dahlia, and we're going to divulge some of this information, whether it's true or false. Okay. 
You know, I just hate this, though, that it's not solved. I just hate unsolved cases. I personally like unsolved cases, but there are some I dislike. I would really, really love if this was solved. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it, it's fun in the sense, well, not fun, but like brain fun, I guess you could say, in the sense where you're like, oh, my gosh, like, what could it be? And you're like trying to think it through and going yes. over all the theories and like trying to solve it in your brain and stuff. But then. I don't know, just that it actually isn't solved is so sad. But there's like solved cases out there too that are wrong. So that's true. That's very true. And like years later, they've been proven wrong. Yeah. And then like they're like, oh shit, we got the wrong guy. So I prefer an unsolved versus something that's solved but wrong. That's true. So, anyways, we're going to start this off by talking about a person by the name of Leslie Dillon. Okay. Okay. So Leslie was a 27 year old bellhop and was an aspiring writer and former mortician's assistant, who became a suspect when he began writing to Los Angeles, <laughs> Los Angeles Police Department psychiatrist Dr. J. Paul DeRiver, or D-River, I think. It's two words. D-River. I'll go with that. Sounds better than DeRiver. Yeah, it does. Sounds like I'm talking with a speech impediment. Over by DeRiver. So, <laughs> D-River. D-River. October of 1948. Now, Leslie was living in Florida at the time of his correspondence with D. River, but had, but had formerly lived in Los Angeles. He read a story about the case of the Black Dahlia in a true detective style magazine in which D. River was quoted and wrote to D. River regarding his theories of the case. Now, he offered up one of his friends, Jeff Connors, as a likely suspect. Over the course of their correspondence, D. River began to believe that Connors did not actually exist and that Leslie oh. had committed the murder himself. Wow. Could you imagine that's that that's a case? Though. It's definitely not. Because they always say like the, the perpetrator returns to the scene of the crime. Yeah. That's very common. Yeah. So this is definitely a way of him like staying in touch with the case, kind of proverbially, proverbial, Proverbially, perver I can't say the word, um, but basically reaching out and still <laughs> keeping in touch with the case. So he's making those correspondence and kind of weaseling his way back in it almost. Or going to their funerals and stuff. I've heard of that too. Exactly. It's just horrific. Yeah. No kidding. No, don't do that. Or Ugh. like if you're in like a Hollywood movie, lots of times you're always the person in the back with a mysterious black umbrella yep. and the suit standing under a tree while it's pouring rain. People are like, who's that guy? I don't know. And then they just disappear. Yeah. And yep. when you go look back, they're gone. Yep. That sort of shit. Hate that. Fuck those people. <laughs> That's all I got to say. But please, oh please do that at my funeral. Someone do that when I pass away. Stand off in a distance. And be I'll, a total creeper? Yes. Clad in black. Please with, don't. Whether it's sunny or raining, bring an umbrella. Whether it's overcast, whether it's winter, spring, I don't care. Black umbrella is a must. Okay. Oh, gosh. Even better if you are like a super sad woman, all black lace and everything, and you're like crying because then it's like, oh, shit, did, did Ben have like a second family or something? What the fuck is this? And it really gets people guessing. Wow. I okay. don't. Well, I'm glad that I know this ahead of time, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> wow. Just to really get people questioning. Oh, yeah. You just want to fuck with everyone from the grave, eh? It, Yeah. One last hurrah, right? There you go. Well, anyways, in December of 1948, uh, Dylan agreed to meet with D. Rivers. Sorry, Leslie Dylan. Leslie agreed to meet with D. Rivers and was given the choice of one of three cities, 
Los Angeles, Phoenix, uh, Los, An bleh, Los Angeles, Phoenix, Arizona, or Los Angeles, Nevada. There we go. Los Angeles, Phoenix, Arizona, or Los Angeles, Nevada. Okay, okay. That took me really long time to it get did, it. Because the, we got it. the way I wrote it was just really weird. Um, but anyways, Leslie expressed reservations about Los Angeles and chose Las Vegas instead. Uh, so D River and undercover LAPD's officer, Sergeant John J.J. Uh, O'Mara of the Los Angeles Police Department, who served under, already said, oh, he was LAPD. Double information for you. Anyways, he served as an undercover. He served undercover as his chauffeur and bodyguard. Mm. That's smart, eh? Right. And also, Lieutenant William joined along as well as being undercover as well. So okay. he had basically two chauffeurs slash bodyguards go along with him, which were undercover cops. And was this dude had the reputation that he would need a body bodyguard? So I don't know, but I mean, he is he's in correlation with the the LAPD. So it's like. You know, we're just going to send you with some drivers or chauffeurs or whatever, right? It's a business trip, a business expense sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of what I took it as anyways. Mm -hmm. So anyways, uh, the two police officers met uh, D River at his home and drove to meet with Leslie. Now, D River and undercover LAPD officers met Leslie in Las Vegas for a couple days, and then they proceeded to drive back to California. Once there... Uh, Leslie and D River traveled to San Francisco to look for their suspect, Jeff Connor, who Leslie claimed was involved. Yeah. However, they were unsuccessful in searching or in finding this individual. Because he didn't exist, right? Well, we'll Possibly? get to that. We'll get to that. Okay. So you're thinking he does not exist. That's what your your thought is? Sure. Sure? <laughs> I don't know if I have enough information to say say for sure but i'm gonna go with that well that's a speculation of authorities currently okay i'm gonna go with that okay I, i'm gonna tell you at this point in time i'm not gonna tell you what i know but while researching at this point in time mm -hmm. i agree okay okay oh, okay so that means it's wrong but let's go i'm not saying it's wrong i'm just not saying it's right either <laughs> it could be either okay now during the time they spent together leslie apparently offered up um, intimate details about the crime and talked very disturbingly over certain things. One of which being a conversation about Elizabeth Short and why her body would be cut in half. Sergeant O'Mara said that there was talk when discussing Elizabeth's body, the incision and the cut through the body specifically. Yeah. Um, Leslie, according to Sergeant O'Mara, said he was he said this. This is a quote directly from Leslie. The person would want to see how far his penis went into the person. What? Yeah. So that's his theory on why she was cut in half. Mother of God, I was not expecting that. Neither was I. That is fucked up. I hate that. Yeah. Like that is disturbing. Oh, that is beyond disturbing. That is yeah. like fucking That's one of the most horrendous. disturbing things I think I've ever heard. Yeah. Okay. So we went there. Sleep with that information tonight. Wow. Holy shit. You good? This is why Monday nights I never sleep well. <laughs> hey? Specifically because of this the shit. The shit that gets in oh. my brain and then I have to go to bed. Well, the fact that there's people out there with that sort of mentality is so fucked up. Yeah, I don't think I I don't even think I could ever go there. Well, the fact that executing it is far like it's of course the farthest you can go, but even just Thinking it is bad enough. Yeah, all like of it thinking is. 
Like, oh, yeah, someone I, would totally do that my because brain of this? can't even go there. It just yeah. doesn't go there. Yeah, me either. I was like, what? They <laughs> fucking excuse me when I read that? Holy shit, I hate it. So. Oh, I don't like this person at all. Like, no, done with them. Yeah, I feel you. Now, after arriving in L.A. and taking Leslie to the location where Elizabeth's body was found, Leslie was visibly distressed and potentially even began to realize he himself was a suspect. It wasn't long before Leslie was actually taken into custody and booked as a suspect on January 10th, 1949 at the Highland Park station. Now, police soon discovered that Leslie's friend, Jeff Connors. Did exist. Did indeed exist. Okay. His real name was Artie Lane. Uh, Lane had lived in Los Angeles at the time of the murder and was employed as a maintenance man by Columbia Studios, a favorite hangout of Elizabeth's. Oh. So there is potential tie there. Okay. Now, D River made recordings of his interviews with Leslie Dillon, where he guaranteed, sorry, where he questioned his suspect about the detail of Elizabeth Short's murders. And I actually have a little bit of their conversation. So I'm going to go back and forth here a little bit. So D River said, What do you think the killer did with the hair shaved off the private parts of the body of Elizabeth Short? Because her pubic hair yeah. had been. Uh, I recall trimmed at least. I don't know if it was fully shaved, but it was at least trimmed, uh, forcefully trimmed, like by the killer sort of thing. So, but it wasn't all right. I don't believe it was fully because I feel no. like I saw a picture and there was there um, was some there. The picture is also very deceiving because she had a lot of cuts in that area too. Okay, and I definitely like zoom in to look. So yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, so Dylan's response was. I think the killer, such as he was, would probably have thrown the hair in the toilet and flush it. D. River. What do you think a killer, such as he, would want, would do with a piece of flesh with a tattoo on it that he cut off her thigh? This was a new piece of information that I did not find until running across this. Okay. Apparently, she had a small tattoo. I don't know of what, but it was removed and cut from her body as well. Interesting. That's something a killer would keep as like a trophy. Definitely. Yeah. So Dylan responded, well, I think he would probably have thrown that down the toilet and flushed it. No. That's a keeper. I think so, too. Mm -hmm. That's a trophy, like you say. Yeah. Now, on another recording of interview with them, D River, D River asked, are you the one who murdered Elizabeth Short? Dylan responded, Dr. D River. The trouble with this is that you first reach your own conclusion about the case and then you try dig up things to prove that your conclusions are correct. D. River, what do you think I am? A child? What do you mean by talking to me that way? I'm a person who has been around. That's all I could find of said recording and uh, the transcription that uh, came from it. Now, this seems weird to me, just saying, because I agree with you. Any person in their right mind, seeing that a killer carved out a tattoo from a person, would obviously say, that's a trophy. They're keeping that shit. Mm -hmm. So, but he's almost looking guilty to me saying the fact, oh, he just threw it in the toilet, just like everything else. I don't know. I find this whole thing super odd with this guy. But then I also think that if he actually did do something, I don't know if he'd be going this far. Like, I just think he's almost kind of just like really odd. He was quite the odd individual, especially they found that out when they were driving and stuff. He was yeah. really weird. Um, Cause I just so think potential. If, if he actually did this, I can't see that he would be like 
going this far because he's just like incriminating himself so much. Yeah. So his friend that he says was responsible, um, Jeff Connors, yeah. uh, he was not able to be tied to the crime. And now also contrary to pop- popular belief and many other sources, uh, Leslie could not be conclusively placed in San Francisco where he claimed to be at the time of the murders. He also couldn't be conclusively placed in LA where Elizabeth was murdered. In fact, police never could account for his whereabouts between January 9th and January 15th in 1947, the same time she disappeared and was tortured and murdered. Hmm. Interesting. I just still don't think it's him, though. No? Why don't you think it's him? Well, because I already said, I just don't think... You just think he wouldn't go this far No, because I can understand sometimes, like, okay, like sending letters, phoning, but I don't think he would go this extent where he's like... I don't know, traveling with them and, and just, it's just too far. I just think it's just too far. That's yeah. just not smart. No, you have a point. Now, Leslie was eventually released due to a lack of evidence and he later filed a $100,000 lawsuit against the city of Los Angeles. Oh boy. But dropped the lawsuit after it emerged that he was wanted by Santa Monica police for robbery. Okay. So he kind of fucked himself over there with that, but. The whole thing is just really weird. Yeah. Uh, now, in 2004, uh, D. Rivers' daughter, uh, Jackie Daniel, published a book called The Curse of the Black Dahlia, in which she expressed her belief that her father had been unfairly ignorant in seeking out Leslie as a suspect in Elizabeth's case. So she believes her dad was actually wrong and was basically just prejudiced towards Leslie in particular. Just trying to make the glove fit. The proverbial oh, like, glove fit. Okay, sorry. I said the word. I said proverbial. Oh, there you go. You yes. <laughs> Win. Ah, <laughs> Yay. That made me happy. Sorry, she thinks that it was Leslie or wasn't Leslie? Sorry. She thinks it was not. I, I, mind you, I didn't read this book yet, so I didn't go into detail. I did way too much reading on other things to get into books. There's too many books. That's fair. God knows what. Um, so I don't know for sure if she thinks it was Leslie or not, but I do know that she thinks it was unfair of her father to pursue Leslie so much and thinks it was ignorant of him to do so. Wow. I wonder how their father-daughter relationship's going. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I would imagine that he's actually, well, he might not even be alive anymore, so. I know, but that's just such a thing to put in a book, publish so, like that. Like, Well, know. there's, there's not, that's not the only father-child accusations within this case. Really? Really. Okay. Uh, the most popular one we're going to talk about at the end here is a crazy one. And that's a son accusing his father. But before that, we've got to talk about another individual here. Uh, George Knowlton. Now, Janice Knowlton, now 67, was 10 years old and living in Westminster when the nude body of Elizabeth was found. This is also, I just realized, I just clicked in. Yeah. um, That it's a daughter father. Yeah. I was just like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Now, more than 40 years later, uh, she inserted inserted herself into one of the the city's most sensational and gruesome unsolved murders ever, the Black Dahlia. She said, oh, I just lost my spot. She said horrific, horrifying, long repressed memories had convinced her that her father had been the murderer and the one who caused all of this. Now, there's little reliable information that is available on George Knowlton, um, except that he lived in the Los Angeles area at the time of the Black Dahlia murder, and he died in an automobile accident in 1962. The rest comes from Janice and her family. Janice was previously a professional singer and public relations firm owner who lived in Anaheim Hills. 
Janice claims she witnessed her rage-filled father beat Elizabeth to death with a claw hammer in the detached garage of the family home in Westminster. Okay. That would be one hell of a fucking thing to see. Well, no shit. Now her, I mean, and you would definitely probably suppress that. Yeah. Her claims of the horrific murder are based largely on recovered memories that surfaced during therapy for depression after a hysterectomy. So... Huh. These memories that she had repressed came up. I don't know. I'm really conflicted about that. I understand people repressing memories, Mm -hmm. but that seems like something like it would scar you. I just don't know how you could forget that. I mean, I have heard like people suppress pretty graphic, gruesome things, but then also it's like, would that just come up in like a... A therapy a session. counseling session or would it almost have to be like a hypnosis? Yeah, thing a hypnotherapy. That that com- I don't know. Up. I couldn't find if, because I looked to, in to see if it was a hypnotherapy thing. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't find anything on that. Huh. So. I mean, I've had some counseling sessions though where it's like you recall things, but it's nothing like that I like really buried deep, I think. Right. Yeah. But I don't even know if I have anything that I buried real deep inside. But until next session, when you re- bring that shit up, that you've been repressing. You never know. <laughs> you never know. Yeah. Uh, now, based on these recovered memories, though, Janice published a book called Daddy Was the Black Dahlia Killer. Wow. Yeah. Uh, with a veteran crime writer, Michael Newton, in 1995. I just feel like that if that would just be things that I don't know. Would you want to be like a, like at the time of the book going out, the dad was de- dead, right? Yes. Like that just seems like a terrible thing to be putting out there like when yeah. your dad is dead and you can't talk to him about it and i don't know okay 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 you good i'm good you're sure yep that's number two <laughs> okay uh now in the book she alleged that her father had been having an affair with elizabeth and that she was staying in a makeshift bedroom in the garage where she suffered a miscarriage the claim continues that george murdered elizabeth in the garage and bisected her in the sink then forced his then 10-year-old daughter, Janice, to accompany him when he disposed of the body. Seems a little bit far-fetched with me. Why would he force his daughter to do that? That's that's just weird. Not saying people don't do that. They fucking do, which is weird as fuck to start with. But it just, trying to get away with murder, why would you include more? You know? Well, your kid, yeah. Like your little kid. Yeah. Uh, So according to Janice, uh, Elizabeth was a sex worker and a procurer of children for a child trafficking ring. Janice also claimed that a former member of the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department told her that her father was at one time considered to be a suspect in the case, a claim that is unsupported by public records. Hmm. Uh, police took Interesting. Her, police did take her claim seriously, uh, even excavating grounds around the childhood home where she grew up, searching for evidence, but they found nothing to tie, to tie George to the crime at all. Well, yeah, I don't think he would after that amount of time, really. No, I don't think so. Well, not necessarily. I mean, if there are bones, bones would stay, but and her body was recovered. So. But then wasn't all her bones at her with her body? Yeah. So her body was recovered. So I just. Yeah. But I mean, potential other victims. Who knows, right? Touche. Yeah. Los Angeles Police Department, John P. St. John. Uh, awesome name, by the way. Just saying that. Uh, was talked to. 
had talked to Janice and does not believe that there's a connection between the Black Dahlia murder and her father. He's quoted to say, we have a lot of people offering up their fathers and various relatives to the Black, or sorry, as the Black Dahlia killer. The things that she is saying are not consistent with the facts of the case. So why are people just offering up? I don't know. Maybe they're convinced they've convinced themselves in some way. I'm not sure. Maybe there is coincidences that are lining up that just seem too perfect for them to let I go. Yes. But geez, I don't like this person. I'm gonna just like pretend pretend in my head that they did this. Yeah. And offer them to the, the police. Like that's just really weird. Yeah, it is. Okay. This whole case is kind of weird though. Yeah, you could say that. We're not even into the fucking, the deep waters of this yet. No. Uh, now on March 5th, 2004, Janice Knowlton died of an overdose of prescription drugs in what was deemed a suicide by an Orange County, California coroner's office. Hmm. In 2019, uh, Newton wrote that Janice Knowlton's relatives confirmed that her father, George, was capable of violent abuse and further reported that uh, his boasts of having unpros unprosecuted homicides uh huh. so yeah there's some shit going down wow okay that's really it's quite sad actually yeah i unfortunately the entire thing it it lacks substantial evidence there's there's nothing to really show any of it mm -hmm. but i mean if he did kill some people and got away with it that ain't cool either yeah you have to wonder though why she ended up killing herself if it was just memories that coming back that she can control or. Well, and she really couldn't let this go either. Uh, she actually became somewhat infamous with an online Black Dahlia discussion within, sorry, the online Black Dahlia discussion communities uh, for her insistence that the LEPD was engaged in a conspiracy to discredit her story in order to conceal their knowledge of his, of her father's involvement. So. Hmm. She was quite, uh, quite into this and she was quite adamant and she couldn't let it go. So I think it was something that just, just over ate, ate up. Ate, yeah. Ate her. Yeah. Ate her, ate up. Up at mm -hmm. her and just took over hmm. whether it's factual or whether she was can just convincing herself is who's to say. And she just died in 2019. Uh, 20, uh 2009. Oh, okay. 2009. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now I do want to set the record straight before we go any further. Elizabeth Short was not a sex worker or a call girl. Elizabeth Short was not an actress or a failed actress. There's no proof to support the idea that she even applied for being an extra. Not to say that she didn't dream of it, but mm -hmm. there is no proof that she ever even tried. Elizabeth Short was also not sexually infantile and capable of intercourse, which apparently there are accusations out there of that. Elizabeth was not pregnant at the time of her disappearance and death and confirmed by her autopsy. So the whole pregnancy thing is also off the board. Uh, she was not an alcoholic. She was not a lesbian, which apparently there's also allegations of that. She was not a man hater. And finally, as some theories draw similar lines between Elisa Lamb and Elizabeth Short, there are only coincidences at best. And Elizabeth was not at the Cecil Hotel before she disappeared. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Wow. This case is a lot of rumors going around, oh, Tay, and just people making yeah. up a lot of things. Yep. Now, whether it's media looking for a good story or just rumors um, getting out of hand, like Elizabeth's name has been dragged through the mud since her unfortunate end, which is it's terrible. kind of sad. Yes. That's really sad. So to re- set the record straight on all those, you, you got that information straight now. She was none of those things. She was not pregnant. Uh, she was just... Your average woman living in Los Angeles who potentially was aspiring to be an actress. And sorry, in that, because you went kind of fast for all of them, did you say that she had never been pregnant? Uh, not been pregnant at the time of her disappearance and death. And conf- she was not pregnant at the time of her death or her disappearance. Oh, okay. Which is confirmed by her autopsy. Okay. Now, I do not think she had a child as far as my research has shown. Mind yeah. you, I didn't look that up specifically. But I do not believe she's ever had a child, no. Okay. Okay. Now. Well, she was pretty young too, right? She was. I believe yeah. she was. I can't remember her exact age, but I believe 22 to 25, somewhere yeah. in there. Yeah. Okay. Now, on to the last one. Now, we will. This is the most notable one, okay? And it's probably one of the most, like, um, high prolific ones that people are more familiar with. Is this the one you've been teasing with me for weeks? Yes. Finally get to know? This is George Hodel. And I, it's hours of information to talk about. Hours, days probably even. So if I miss information, I am so sorry. I tried to wrap this up as best I can. All right? Okay, but you already mentioned a George, but this is a totally different George. Totally different George. Okay, new George. Yeah. New George. Now... Steve Hodell's father, George, had passed away in May of 1999, and he quickly found himself sorting through his father's belongings, trying to tie up loose ends as one does when a family member unfortunately passes away. Mm -hmm. George Hodell was born in October 10th, 1907, and passed away on May 16th, 1999. He was an American physician and proudly boasted about his 186 IQ, well above Albert Einstein's 160. You already said something of interest, but keep going. I know I did. What was it? The surgeon thing. I said physician, but yeah. Oh, but okay. Yes. I heard surgeon <laughs> in my brain. I'm like, this guy's a surgeon. He's guilty. <laughs> but but yes, you're, you're definitely on the right track there. Okay. Now, after the success of George's medical practice and becoming head of the, con- of the county's social hygiene bureau, Hodel liked to enjoy the finer things in life, one of which being art. He befriended an artist and photographer, Man Ray, film director, John Houston, and many other associates. Together, him and his friends, they shared a fondness for things, others, like other things in the finer lifestyle, like partying, drinking, womanizing. And there's many stories out there of a very darker side of the sexual activities they involved, they involved themselves in. This group of friends, basically. Uh, yes, 
um, many of them being very aggressive and dark, uh, such as beating individuals during intercourse sort of thing. Um, BDSM without the safe word, pretty much. Wow. Um, So that's a whole other topic, but I just wanted to just throw that in there that that's a possibility. And they're basically probably like wealthy, powerful men. Yes, very much so. Now, none of this was a secret to Steve. He saw it all growing up. As he went through his father's possessions, Steve ended up finding a photo album tucked away in a box. It was small enough to fit in his palm, and it was tucked away, like I said, in this neat little wooden box. It was filled with the usual pictures of his mom, his dad, and brothers, and as well portraits of his family taken by the artist and photographer Man Ray. So professional photographers by this artist friend. Okay. But towards the back, there's something that caught his eye. Two pictures of a young woman, her eyes cast downward with curly, deep black hair. And pausing for a moment, Steve stared at the pictures and something clicked. And he said, my God, this looks like the Black Dahlia. Wow. A connection that was all too easy for Steve Hodell, who was an ex-LAPD detective. Holy shit. Yep. Imagine finding that, eh? No kidding. I think I would be like shaken. Yeah. I mean, to see something like that, be like, um, there's an obvious connection here. Yeah. So that's fucked. But I almost feel like if it's in that certain photo album, maybe it's like another kid of sorts. You a think? secret child or something. Kind of where my head went right away. I mean, it could be. I never really thought of that. I don't know. Or it could be a secret lover. That too. Yeah. So. Now, one of the most immediate suspicions of George Hodel being was the murder in this way was Elizabeth was cut in half. Because like we talked about, he's a physician Mm -hmm. and Elizabeth was cut in half. Uh, It was extremely precise with little to no damage done in the process. In fact, there is a medical name for said process. Uh, Elizabeth had been given a, I'm going to butcher this, but I'm going to try, hemicorporal hemicorporectomy a procedure that slices the body beneath the lumbar spine the only spot where the body can be severed in half without breaking bone really oh there's actually a spot there's a specific spot i didn't know that now you do and that's where she was i would have been okay not knowing that i feel like but i would have been okay knowing a lot of things or without knowing a lot of things from this case so (laughs) Welcome to my world. From a lot from a lot of our cases, really. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I think I'm repressing a lot of those things. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to start going and counseling and bring, bringing up shit that we're suppressing from all this Probably. shit we're learning. Probably. We talk about a lot of fucked up assholes. Yeah. Like, it's ridiculous. That's the majority of our conversations. I don't this know. Is dude, that healthy? <laughs> I don't know. Even, like, making dinner and stuff. Yeah. We're just, like, talking about douche canoes and, like, what's the next case? Oh, you should hear it. It's fucking horrific. Or and, just weird shit in general. Yeah. yeah. Or or my favorite one, how much my arms fucking hurt. Oh, oh my, my God. Gosh. They hurt so much. I'm oh. sorry that I brought this up, people. <laughs> they hurt. Okay. I have literally heard that probably. I should have counted. I should have started a tally this morning <laughs> just for fun and not even have told you. Well. It's probably 50 times. Let's see if we can get to 100 by the night's end. That's okay. Let's not. Challenge accepted. <laughs> All right. So the, the hemicorporectomy, um, it was actually a procedure taught in the 1930s, the time when George had been to medical school. Why was this taught? 
Sorry, I don't know if I, you're going there. I don't know why it was taught. Okay. It's one of those things that I didn't look into. There's too much for me to look into yeah, everything. Yeah, that's really odd. Okay. And it, it seems like it's a little bit of a... If you want to learn, I mean, by all means, go go for it. Tell us why this was actually taught. I don't know. I, I'm i assuming it's something to do with autopsies or something of the like. Yeah, my search history has seen bad enough things. I'm giving it a break. Oh, the FBI is looking at our computers going, <laughs> what the fuck? We are definitely being surveillance. Oh, my god! Guarantee it. Um, so anyways, Steve surveyed this case from scratch, digging through witnesses, interviews, newspaper archi- archives. And once he set his eye on the letters that were from the Black Dahlia murders, Steve made another connection. The letters that had been sent to the police and the, the press, mm-hmm. the one that was handwritten specifically, bore a chilling resemblance to his dad's handwriting. Oh my gosh. So much so that Steve swears to this day that the writing is 100% his father's, no doubt, in his mind. Wow. Yeah. Oh, Mika just breathed in my face. Oh, dog, you got stinky breath. Oh, good girl, but go lay down. She's old. Be nice to her. Oh, that was raunch. Wow. Oh, Mika. Oh, this whole place needs like aired out now. Are you wow. okay? It's not that bad. Oh, Holy she like, heck. I don't know. She was just licking her butt or something, but that was bad. <sighs> Anyways. Whew. So with this information, uh, Steve ended up filing a Freedom of Information Act to retrieve the FBI files on the murder and the information that the Bureau had collected on his father. He sent the photographs that he had found of his father's photo album for facial recognition experts to examine. Mm-hmm. One remains unknown and the other one has been identified potentially as another woman. Both not being certain. Oh, like they're not certain it's even her they're in not, the photos. But they can't conclusively say yes or no. Now, okay. I've seen I've seen mixed reviews on if the one woman had actually been identified in, the, in one photo. Mm-hmm. So I'm not certain if it's this woman has been identified as a certain individual or has been identified that this is not Elizabeth. Okay. Again, mixed reviews on that one. However, the second photo for sure is inconclusive whether it's her or not. Okay. Now, a handwriting expert uh, determined that there was strong likelihood that the father's handwriting matched the script on some of the notes that the killer had sent the LAPD, but the results, again, were also inconclusive. Because I feel like actually people, especially when, I don't know, just back in the day when everyone kind of was right handwriting like the same. Yeah. I feel like it could actually be resemblance without potentially. I mean, there's potential, but there's little nuances on how someone writes something. The direction, the pressure, the pressure, the direction you write a letter. If you, if we all do a zero, we're all going to do it differently. We'll start at a different spot and we'll Mm. go a different direction. We'll do different sizes. It might slant slightly. It might be shorter and fatter. It might be That's taller true. and skinnier. That's true. So there's a lot of little things that give it away. Now, in the archives that uh, Steve had actually been able to get uh, from the authorities, Steve found a folder containing receipts for contract working in his childhood home. One of the receipts showed a purchase of a few days before Short's murder, 10 five-pound bags of concrete. Now, at the scene of the crime, not too far away, there was a bag that was found of concrete. And this was the same brand and same size 
of said concrete bag that had been found. What does that mean? Sorry. So that she was put in the concrete bag or that they, this person had plans potentially of putting. They, they believe that in one of these bags that they had found by the, the crime scene, yeah. that the killer may have used this bag for to transport, c- transport and carry her body. Okay. Now the bag was a, from a brand of concrete. Okay. Yeah. Powder that you mix up and everything. The bags in said receipt were the same size of bag and the same brand of bag that was found at the scene of the crime. Hmm. Okay. But would the dad have had any other use for this concrete? Maybe he's buying it for something. Maybe. So Sorry, I'm just like... You're playing devil's advocate, which I is my really job. Am, I usually yeah. do that. I really am here. It's sorry. all good, though. Uh, now, as a civilian, Dave, er, as a civilian now... Uh, because he is retired, Steve doesn't have access to the original police files. And an officer actually admitted to him, uh, he even if he did have access, majority of the physical evidence has been lost over the years. Oh, wow. Most of the witnesses are dead. And the original cops that worked the case are also deceased. So this is just like never going to get solved, probably. I mean. Never say never. Most likely, but yeah. Now, in 2001, after two years of researching the case full time, Hodel or Steve Hodel turned to another individual, Stephen Kay, an acquaintance of his who worked at the Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office. Steve still wasn't sure he could be he could prove beyond a reasonable doubt that his father was the Black Dahlia killer, but he was convinced his investigation had unearthed enough new material to justify a fresh look from law enforcement officials into the into the case. So his friend, uh, Steve K. agreed. He said, all right, let's review the files. So he okay. went in. And six weeks later, K. responded to him with a glowing letter saying this. Thanks to some great detective work by this. Cr- <laughs> Sorry, I butchered that sentence. Thanks to some great detective work by his courageous son, Steve. The name of Dr. George Hodel will live in infamy. What do you think that means? I have no idea, actually. I was going to ask that I feel like I'm asking too many questions, well, so I just didn't. Let's just say this. He continued to say that if George was still alive, he would file two charges of murder against him. Oh, wow. He believes Steve was right. Wow. Hey. Yeah. Huh. Okay, but I also just still find this so interesting that like these pet parents and stuff are dead and then the kids are just like i don't know i feel like i'd bury that but i don't know maybe that makes me a terrible person i don't know you don't know i don't know how far i would dig into this right you know well i mean it's it's a bit different because he is an he's a retired detective true that's true very true so i mean it's yeah you would be very curious, but then how far would you go with it too is just what I'm kind of getting at here. So if you were a retired detective and your father could be a prolific murderer or serial killer, you you can't tell me you wouldn't try to do something right about that? Or you would cover it up for him? I don't know. I don't know if I should answer this. In case your dad is listening. <laughs> <laughs> uh 
Okay, well, moving on from that, I won't put that pressure on you. I'll take that pressure off. Uh, Steve Lopez, there's a lot of Steves in this, by the way. Steve Lopez, a columnist at the Los Angeles Times, received a copy of Steve's book that he wrote shortly after this and decided to write about it. While in fact checking his column, Lopez asked the Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office for more information on the murder. The DA's office complied and Lopez received access to a file that Lieutenant Frank Jemison, one of the original officers involved in the investigation, had left behind in a safe in the basement at the District Attorney's Office. The file, a copy of which the District Attorney also shared with the, the Guardian, uh, you know, the Guardian, write the articles, the news source. Oh, like the newspaper kind of thing? Yeah. Okay. Um, contains an assortment of photographs, newspapers, clippings, and several hundred pages of typed interview notes, um, pixelated with age and compiled and blah, 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 blah. Now, buried in said notes is the bombshell that Steve had been hoping for. The Los Angeles Police Department was focused on six suspects back in the day, back when this case was originally occurring in the 40s. And George Hodel was one of those six in the original file. Wow. No way. Yes way. Now, originally he gained attention from the police in late 1949. George's teenage daughter, Tamar, accused him of sexual abuse and impregnating her. Okay, the ki- the, his kid? Yep. Oh, his I daughter. Hate, I hate that. Uh, the daughter gave birth to a, wow. to a daughter named Fauna, and her birth father was unknown. Wow. And the troubled Tamara gave up Fauna for adoption. Fauna later learned of her true origins, uh, and unfortunately, she never really ever found out who her true father was, and it's unknown to this day. Huh. Now, George Hodel was acquitted after a widely publicized trial. Two witnesses to the alleged abuse testified at the trial. A third recanted their earlier testimony and refused to come forward, with one theory being that Hodel threatened them into silence. Now, Tamar's testimony was perceived as contradictory and nothing more than attention-seeking. Well, money can do a lot of things for you, too. That's true. So... Um, just to point this out, I believe uh, his daughter Tamar was 16 when she gave birth. Holy heck. Yes. So this guy is just pure evil. Yes. Really? Yes. If he is doing these things, he is fucking disgusting. Fuck huh. this guy. Which I also think it's like so incredible that his son went to go and be a detective. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because, okay, this, I don't know if I should be saying this, but I feel like it's almost one way or the other when you have a, just like a terrible upbringing. I feel like you're either going to become a police officer or you're going to become a serial killer. <laughs> like, it's like one or the other almost, isn't it? I mean, I don't think it's always that no, way. But it's like you hear about that often. Yeah. yeah. Either you're following in their footsteps or you're doing the complete opposite to like save people. You're not wrong, but... You're also not right, but you're no, not wrong. I'm not wrong because it's it just, it's probably a very small percentage of, yeah, of people. We, but, but yeah, it's it's funny how it works out that way, unfortunately. Yeah. Not funny, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Just from cases we've researched and yeah. stuff. So now also another piece of information that came up was at the time of the murder, there was a suspicious black car that had been seen around the scene of the crime by locals in the area. A car that matched the description of George Hodel's. Jeez. Yep. Wow. 
So we have one more big bomb to drop. There was another major bomb. With George? Yes. I already feel like you dropped a lot, but okay. In those files that were recovered, there is a transcript from a period in 1950 when the police were bugging George Hodel's home. Most of the transcript is dull. Hodel has sex. He beats his secretary, apparently. Holy shit. Talks about money problems. But on the 19th of February in 1950, there's a haunting exchange. Now, I don't know specifically what this means. So I'm going to read it exactly what this line says. Okay. Okay. 8.25 PM. Quote, woman screamed, woman screamed again in brackets. It should be noted the woman not heard before the scream. End quote. So there's a few different ways to interpret that. I'm interpreting it as they hear a woman scream And then they hear a woman scream again, and they never heard a woman's voice prior to. That's what I interpret that as. Okay, yeah. Now, later in that day, also in these transcripts, Hotel talks to a confidant and says this. Realize there was nothing I could do. Put a pillow over her head and cover it with a blanket. Get a taxi. Expired 1259. They thought there was something fishy. Anyway, now they have figured it out. Killed her. Huh. Okay, but back to that woman screaming thing. Is that like he listening to like a recording or there's like someone in his house that he's hurting? I wonder. Well, I mean, coupled with this conversation here, to me, it sounds like there's someone he hurt, someone he killed. Wow. Okay. Now, the surveillance continues routinely, but for one telling moment. This is the last transcript that I have here. Quote, supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia. They couldn't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary anymore because she's dead. End quote. Because he killed her? Could have been the woman you heard scream. Jeez. How How did he not have to go to jail? Even after hearing like those transcripts. Because these transcripts cannot legally be taken into account. The Hodel household was illegally bugged. Well, then why bother bugging it? I know, right? The the conversations, the transcripts are effectively moot in the court of law, unfortunately. Yeah, no, I get that. I understand that. Yeah. Hmm. So now all these pieces coming together over the years brought light to George Hodel's wicked past and potentially murderous tendencies, as we have now realized. Um, But before I move into the final part of this theory, I want to revisit a few things. The handwriting, the picture on George's photo album. There are mixed reviews on both of those. Just remember this, just Mm because I want to make sure I portray that. So that handwriting is inconclusive either way. George swears up and down. There are some professionals who say that it's not his writing. Yeah. There are some professionals who say it is. It's inconclusive. Yeah. Same with the photos. Right. Inconclusive. Very well maybe, very well may not. So just wanted to touch on that just to get that clear so you can really soak in all the evidence that we got here before we hit the final one. So that last part though of the theory that we're about to talk about, Steve believes his father and his love for art and how he looked up to his friend, Man Ray, could be the final clue 
You see, Man Ray has two pieces of art in particular, the Leomor and the Minotaur. Um, Amore, sorry, Leomore. Okay. Um, French for uh, the lovers. Uh, and it's a composite photography piece that depicts lips of Man Ray's departed lover, Lee Miller, floating in the sky above a new woman lying on her side. It's believed that the woman may be dreaming a nightmare or an erotic fantasy. Uh, but a, a cool little side note, though, on this is that the uh, lips actually pictured in this piece uh, were the inspiration for the logo on the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Which oh, is, wow. Which is really cool. Huh. Um, but also potentially the inspiration for the Black Dahlia's twisted smile. Huh. Which is this guy's friend. Yeah. So it could be the Black Dahlia. Her body ended up being a twisted piece of art that George Hodel was drawing inspiration from Man Ray's work. Just like the smile in this painting or this photograph, my apologies. Uh, he did a similar smile by slicing open the cheeks of Elizabeth oh, Short. Gosh. Now, and the Minotaur is a black and white photo of a nude woman's chest. She lays still with the photo cropping her out at the waist where she extends her arms in a relaxed fashion above her head. Just like Elizabeth mm -hmm. Short. Okay, but we're not saying that the photographer has anything to do with this. It's just George getting inspiration from his friend. Yeah, Steve, Steve Hodel argues that it was his father, George's way of emulating his friend's art and surrealism. Okay. Allowing him to build what Steve believes his father would refer to as a masterpiece a crime so shocking and horrible it would endure and be immortalized through crime lore. Hmm. Wow. Now, unfortunately, whatever George had done or anyone else for that matter, because we don't conclusively know the likelihood of the case of the black Dahlia ever being solved is almost none. Elizabeth has become an icon in her time. Her tragic story and beauty overtaking the world of crime and mystery for what is sure to be years to come. And that is all we know. Wow. Huh. That is Elizabeth Short's story or the tale of the Black Dahlia. Dang, I want this to be solved. <laughs> My brain's going a mile a minute. Yeah. Um, like I said, there are a million different paths to dive down on this. There is information for days. If you guys dive in on this, you find some new information or something, please hit us up. That'd be awesome. Uh, and of course, hit us up. Let us know what you think. Who do you think is the the Black Dahlia Avenger, according to the letters anyways? Because, yeah, there's my books, movies and stuff like everything oh, yeah. under there's the sun that you can watch, right? Yeah, multiple books. There is at least one recent movie. Uh, starring Scarlett Johansson. Mm. Um, there are documentaries, there's subreddits, there's forums. Oh my God, for days. For days. Hmm. Well, look at uh, Steve Hodel researching this on his father for years. Yeah. So. Wow, interesting. Well done. Well done. So, yeah, I, uh, I, I'm really conflicted uh, with Elizabeth Short because I, I want her to be remembered, but I also don't because it seems like that's just what George wanted. Mm -hmm. If it was George, 
if those theories are accurate, which it to me, it seems like it is. It does seem very logical. It could be that one, doesn't it? Yeah. Hmm. It's fucked up regardless, though. Yeah, that's so, so fucked up. Yeah. Brutal. Okay. Well, you guys, thank you for listening. If you want to sign up for Patreon, you want to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or whatever, all the stuff is down in the show notes below in the little mm-hmm. description. You can even go buy merch if you want. Yeah, so, we have some sweet merch. We do. Even blankets. Yeah. T-shirts. Notebooks. Lots of you are into the blankets lately, actually. <laughs> the blankets are sick, though, too. <laughs> they are cool. Oh, really cool side note. On my own Facebook, I, I had a ad for Redbubble pop up advertising our own blanket to me yep you thought that was super sweet it's probably because i was on Redbubble already clicking on our blanket and shit but still it was awesome no no that's not why it was there definitely not <laughs> but yes thank you guys go check out the blankets the merch our instagram whatever even if you're just gonna listen to the next episode or episodes prior we appreciate it even mm-hmm. if it was just this one you're awesome and you're wicked thank you day wicked Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.